Welcome to SCG Church's podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. We also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. Thanks so much for listening. What's up, Seacoast? How y'all doing? I'm so excited to be here with you guys tonight. You guys excited to be here? You guys ready to worship with us a little bit? Can we do us a favor before we start? Can we give a big round of applause to all of our family online right now? Just give them a big Seacoast, what's up? We miss you guys. We love you. For those of us who are here, let's stand to our feet and let's worship together. Come on.
I'm praying God come and turn this thing around God turn it around God turn it around God turn it around yeah. calling on the name <laughs> it changes everything yeah God turn it around God turn it around God turn it around all of my hope is in the name the name of Jesus breakthrough will come come in the name the name of Jesus
turn it around. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Woo. Let's pray together. Father, we are just grateful. We are so glad that we're still here and you're still blessing us and you still care for us. Oh, God, we just say thank you. Oh, God, will you just have mercy upon us. As the song just said, turn it around. We look forward to the day when we can join hands together, when we can sing together. God, turn it around. As we ask all these blessings in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it is so great to be with you all tonight. That was awesome. That was great, Corey. Um, I loved that moment. Yes. Yes, give it. it's always great to have Corey with us. I've been listening to that song for a few weeks now, and I just love it. Um, so we got a few announcements for you tonight. We need some parking volunteers. So we have a whole parking team that helps park all the cars out there, that um, drives all the trams or carts, whatever they're called. Um, and so if you want to be a part of that team, we would love to have you. And you can email Denise, or you can find her somewhere in this tent somewhere she's always here she is always working hard we love Denise um, right over there there she is everyone's pointing at her so go find her and be a part of that we'd love to have you and then we also have another food drive happening you guys have just been so generous um, we are so grateful for everything that you have given um, and so this month we actually have something different so we have our regular Saturday and that will be um, next Saturday from 9 to 11 at the Ranch House, but then also we have every Tuesday night in March, we are opening it up as well, so between 6.30 and 8, you can also drop off food every Tuesday night because we have our master class going on, which Cody's going to talk more about, um, but that's another option for you if you aren't able to make it on Saturday mornings. So with all that said, we've got one more song for you, so check it out. Second of the years I spent trading punches with the enemy. Ooh, built myself a double thick stone wall, sorry lies higher than the eye can see. Trapped in this flesh and bone, crying out to you, Lord, I'm desperate. Ooh, love rattle this cage and set me free. All of my
How you guys doing? Doing all right? Good. Hey, I uh, want to give a shout out to everybody who's watching online. Thanks for joining us. Of course, everybody in person, out in the cars. And um, I don't know if you can view anywhere else, but if you're viewing from somewhere else, we're glad that you're here too. So um, last thing, uh, announcement is um, this is the time in the service where we usually give back to God. And so if you, uh, if you have been giving, please continue to give online. We have all the different ways that you can give. And um, you guys have done such a great job at that. So we want to thank you for um, just your generosity during this season, especially that you guys have stepped up and done so much. And so um, please uh, continue to do that. So today is a little bit different. Um, we're going to be starting a new series. But before I jump into that, I want to uh, address a question that people have been asking me lately is um, if you're around here, you know that there has been this tradition that I have kept alive for quite a while now, and you guys have been asking me about it, is, uh, Cody, did you get sick on Christmas? So a lot of people, if you don't know, I have this history for quite a while now, is I get sick on Christmas. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because it's busy or what, but I usually get a cold. I get the flu. Um, I've had it one time, which I ended up on the side of Walker Street here um, in my boxers throwing up. That's a long story for another time. I even had an appendectomy uh, during one of our Christmas Eve services. So it was just, it's good. We, uh, we usually party like that on Christmas. And so this Christmas Eve, um, I made it through all the services. I was feeling great. And in fact, some of you guys came up to me and said, hey, you're here. It looks like you're doing good. You're ready to go. And I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling great. You know, this is going to be awesome. And so we make it through all the Christmas Eve services. Awesome. I wake up on Christmas Day excited to go and celebrate with my kids. We have, uh, we're going to go to my, uh, my wife's uh, parents' house. And then we're going to go to my parents'. We have this, all these celebrations that we're going to do. And I kind of feel a little bit like a little tired, you know, which is expected. It's been a long week, and I kind of feel a little bit tired, and I think, you know what? I just want to be overly cautious, and so I'm just going to let my in-laws know, hey, um, I just, I feel a little bit tired. There's, you know, a little congested and stuff. No big deal, but um, I just want to let you know, and I'm thinking they're going to say, no big deal. That's fine, whatever. They say, um, this is not their words, but this is how I felt was, you're not invited to Christmas anymore. Which I, it almost felt like they were looking for an excuse not to invite me, to be honest. Like, it kind of felt like they were just, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, we didn't want them anyway. And so um, it, it turns into kind of a little bit of drama. Okay, I guess we're not going to go to their house because they're a little bit freaked out and they don't want anybody getting sick. And I'm like, all right, I get that. And so um, th throughout the day, I, I kind of start feeling a little bit more sluggish and a little bit off. And, and so we go to my parents' house that evening. And just to be overly cautious, I wear a mask like you guys are doing right now. And, and by the end of the night, it was progressing pretty quickly. By the end of the night, I think I was eating cake on the ground. Just like, ah, I think I'm tired right <laughs> now. And, and so that week I went and I, I got myself tested. And hey, guess what? COVID. All right. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody's had, no? It's going around, I heard. It was really, thank you. Okay. And so, yes, I happened to be sick during Christmas. So we had to cancel all of our plans. We didn't get to go out of town. I sat in bed for all of, uh, till New Year's, and um, I made it back just in time for some more church. So, hey, glad to be here. So fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, 
Um, this is the first week in which we are going to be starting a, a new series, and it's called Masterclass. And, um, and what we do in the, the Masterclass series, we've done them a few times, is we take a book of the Bible and we help you master it in about five weeks. Is, uh, for this series, we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, and over the next five weeks, we're going to help you get a good grasp on the book of Matthew. And so if you know what the, anything about the book of Matthew, you might be thinking, well, that's pretty long. There's a lot in there. How are you going to do that in five weeks? Because if we just came up here and I taught you word for word for the next five weeks, um, it would take us about three to five years. And I know this because I did it one time, and it took about three to five years. And so we're not going to do that. Is What we're going to do is we're going to take the book of Matthew, and we're going to divide it into five sections. And if you look at the structure of Matthew, um, there's about five main teachings that Jesus has in there. There are the five discourses. And so we're going to look at a different discourse every week. And so um, the way that this is going to kind of play out is on the weekends, we're going to look at the big picture of what's taking place there. And so you got to be here for the next five weeks because you don't want to miss any parts of the story. And so we're going to look at the big picture. And then part of Masterclass is we do these things called Daily Devos. And in the Daily Devos, you're going to be reading through a chapter, maybe two chapters a day. And you're going to have a small devotional that goes along with it that one of our pastors will be providing. And so the way you get that is you go on our website, you get signed up, it'll be emailed to you. I think there's around seven or 800 people that have been in our Devos this last session. So make sure you're a part of that little video that goes with it. And then we're going to have this thing called a debrief. And we're bringing those back. And, and what's cool about the debrief is on Tuesday night, we are going to have our pastoral staff be looking at this section of Matthew and kind of dissecting it a little bit deeper. So looking at some of the theology and the structure and uh, some more application. And the cool thing is you can watch it online, or if you sign up, you can come in person now. So now you don't just have to watch online. We're going to provide it here in person, but we need you to sign up so we know you're coming so we have enough space for everybody. Okay, so that's going to take place this Tuesday night. And that's fun because we have a, a lot of fun with the staff, but you also get to engage and ask questions and all that kind of stuff. So make sure you sign up for that. Uh, and then we have our discussion groups. And so if you're not in a group, you need to be in a group because we then provide some discussion questions for you to talk about, for you to think through and apply to your life. And so all of those are kind of the big part of what a master class is. So it's not just sermons. There's a bunch of different stuff that takes place. And so you need to go on our website and get all signed up for all of those things so that it can really get a good grasp on what we're uh, what we're talking about. And what's cool is we've kind of timed this so that the week leading up to Easter, starting Palm Sunday, we're going to be reading through Matthew, that passion narrative as a church. And so we're going to lead up to their Easter services, and that's going to be our kind of the big uh, grand finale. So if you don't know anything about the book of Matthew, and since it's the first week, let me give you a little introduction, is the book of Matthew is one of four gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the gospels are the stories of Jesus' life and death and and, and, and resurrection, and it gives us an eyewitness account of pretty much everything, or not everything, but parts of what Jesus did throughout his life. And it's where we get kind of, um, it's where we get all the narrative from. And the author of Matthew is, well, Matthew, and he was originally believed to be one of the disciples. And what's interesting about Matthew, if you don't know anything about his story, is he is, um, he's Jewish, but he was hated by his people because he was kind of seen as a traitor is he, he went and he was a tax collector for the enemy, Rome, through his, for his people. And he'd be going and he'd rip off people, so they just didn't like him very much. That was before he came to know Jesus. And so when he writes this, he's writing to a Jewish audience, trying to explain to them, hey, here's who Jesus is. He is the long-awaited Messiah. So throughout the Old Testament, there's been all these prophecies and all these stories, and we've been looking forward to the Savior one day. Well, Jesus is that Savior. 
And so he's really writing to that audience. In fact, if you go and you open up Matthew and you go in like the first chapter, you'll be tempted to not read any longer because it's all these names that you have no idea who they are and they mean nothing to you. But it's really important for uh, that original audience because they're looking at it going, oh, okay, so this is who, this is the family he's a part of. Oh, so he is from the line of David. Very important because the future Messiah was going to come from the line of David. And so he's writing, trying to prove to his Jewish audience that Jesus really is the Messiah. So the first couple of chapters, um, we see not only those, those uh, stories of the lineage, but we see the Christmas story as well. And, and we, see, uh, um, we see kind of the, the origin story of where Jesus comes from, at least here on earth. And so for those first couple, story, or first couple chapters, Matthew is really setting the stage for what's about to happen. He says, all right, here's the prologue. Here's who Jesus is. Here's where he came from. And then in chapter three, we really jump into it. So if this were a movie, here's how I imagine that this would go is we have the Christmas story, and you know the Christmas story. You got the Magi, and you got angels, and Mary, and Joseph, and Bethlehem, and fleeing into Egypt, and all that stuff. And as they're fleeing to Egypt, you're ending the Christmas story. The scene goes dark. And then the next scene comes on, and it's just this crazy man who is standing in the wilderness. He's got this long beard. He's eating locust and honey trail mix. He's yelling at a crowd of people, and he's telling them, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Now, that's quite a contrast as you go from this beautiful little baby to like this wild man coming out of the wilderness. Who is this guy? Well, no, it's not Jesus, but it is one of Jesus' distant cousins or relatives. Uh, This is John, which we know him as John the Baptist. And he's preaching this message that we are to repent. We're supposed to get ready because God is about to do something really big in the world. And so you need to get right with God because you want to be a part of it. And so his purpose and his message is not only to prepare, but to pave the way for the arrival of the Messiah. It's like an announcer. If you ever watch a basketball game or or some kind of boxing or anything like that, he's kind of like the announcer for the, the uh, the main fight or the basketball player. You know, like Jesus standing at average height, average weight, hailing from Bethlehem via... Nazareth, welcome Jesus Christ. Like, kind of like, is that a little heretical? Okay. Um, so John is, is getting everybody ready. He's kind of setting the tone. And so he's going out there and he's baptizing people. And, and that's really their way of, of kind of cleansing, of symbolism, of saying, okay, I am repenting, I am preparing. And then Jesus shows up on the shores. And as he walks up, John sees him and goes, that's him. This is the one I've been talking about. You guys, the Messiah that I've said to prepare for, this is the guy. Jesus is the Messiah. And then something weird happens. Jesus says, well, you baptize me now, John. Now, every time I read this story, I think of um, a book that my mom gave my kids uh, years ago. And she ordered it on Amazon. To her credit, she hadn't read it. She didn't know it was in it. But it was like my first Bible or something like that. And it was just very simple Bible stories. And so we got to the story of Jesus' baptism. Um, and in the story, it said this. And I went and looked it up just, just to make sure that I'm quoting this correctly. It says, Jesus goes to John to get baptized so that he could be forgiven of his sins. And I looked at that and I went, excuse me? 
Jesus needed to be forgiven of his sins? I said, that's kind of the point, is he didn't have any sins. Like, he's getting baptized because he wanted to affirm the message that John was preaching. And so I'm getting all fired up, right? And I think at the time I was in seminary, and so I was, like, really fired up. I'm like, Mom, you are so close to getting burned at the stake for being a heretic right now. Like, who is this really bad? And she's like, I didn't know. I didn't read it. Well, you know, I just ordered it for the kids. So we burned that book. No, we didn't burn the book. But but the whole, the whole idea was is that Jesus is being recognized as the Messiah, affirming John's message and being baptized by him. And so it's kind of like after this, now that Jesus has come out publicly and said, I am the Messiah, John has affirmed it. You think, all right, it's on like Donkey Kong. Here we go. You know, it's about to get real. But Jesus doesn't just take over from there and start preaching. What he does is, he does what like happens in a lot of movies, is instead of him rushing into and beginning the, the journey or going into battle, he takes this time for preparation. It's kind of the calm before the storm. And so he goes for 40 days into the desert, and he is tempted by, uh, by Satan, and he's also fasting for that 40 days. Because it's a time of testing, but it's also a time of preparation. He's getting ready for the battle that he's about to go into. And so he makes it through this 40 days. And, and if you think about your favorite movie, it kind of follows this plot line. As I was thinking about this, is, is this preparation phase is like, all right, um, Rocky, for example. Right? You have like the most famous scene in it is probably him running up the stairs. Da, 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 right? Is that, you guys remember that movie, right? Is that, yes, okay. Like that prep. Okay, how about this? Um, Lion King, Simba. He goes and he's in exile and he hangs out with Timon and Pumbaa. And I'm trying to gauge where the audience is at here. Let me try another one. All right. Um, home Alone. What movie, am I not, what is it, am I not too, as in the movies are too old or too new? What do I need? No? You're just, you're just too sour. Is that the problem? Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to get you. So, Home Alone, you remember that Kevin, he does this whole prep, right? He has this plan, and he goes, and he's going to rig up the entire house with all these booby traps and stuff, and, and then he sits down for dinner, and he's just about to, about to eat, and then he realizes it's time. And then there's this famous scene in which he stands, and he looks at the camera, and he goes, this is it. Don't get scared now. That's the prep. That's like, yes, I'm about to head into battle. That's what Jesus is doing, right? <laughs> this is it. Don't get scared now. Yes, I can somehow tie in Jesus and Kevin from Home Alone. Ah, it's a gift. So Jesus bursts onto the scene, and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, this is the same message that John was just preaching, but it has very different implications when Jesus says it. And so let me back up a little bit, because the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, same thing, it's kind of one of those theological concepts that's really important, it's big, but it's oftentimes fuzzy is we don't exactly know what it is. And so I came up with a working definition. The kingdom of God is where God's will is done, where God's rule uh, rules over the hearts and lives of his people. And they willingly submit to his authority as king. So the background is, the big idea is that in creation, we were made to be under God's rulership. That we were made to to know him and to be known by him, to love him and be loved by him. And in this creation, things were perfect. As he was our king, this was his kingdom, and we got to be a part of it. But the story quickly goes south, we know, and that uh, because we decide that we wanted to go our own way and do our own thing, we decide that we're going to be in charge. We don't want to be under his rulership. We want to be the little kings and queens of our own kingdom. 
And so when we rebelled against God and said, we don't want your authority in our life, we want to be under our own, then enters this thing called sin into the world. And with sin comes destruction. And we've seen ever since our uh, rebellion against God's rule that we have continued to experience pain and suffering and death and, and even decay. And in this story, God says, you know, I could either leave you like you are in your rebellion, and we know how that's going to end, or I can make a way back for you. And so he promises that one day he's going to come and he's going to make a way back, not only for us to have a way back in a relationship with him, which is most important, but that he's going to make all things new again. That the world that is spinning out of control, he's going to bring back under his rulership, that he will be king in this kingdom once again. And one of the promises he made is not only is that going to happen, but he's going to send a Messiah, a Savior. And so when Jesus comes, what he's saying, and this is happening in the backdrop, is the kingdom of God that has been promised is arriving with me. And it's not just coming with me, but I am the coming king. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm the Messiah, and I'm going to bring all of creation back under my rulership. So the kingdom of God has come. And then he starts acting like a king. Everybody around would have known what he was doing. Immediately after he goes and he preaches this message, he starts getting his disciples. Starts with two guys, and he says, hey, come and follow me. By the end of it, he has 12 guys, which is a, kind of an illustration of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so what he's saying is, I'm the king of Israel. I'm the king of the world. Come and follow me. I am beginning my kingdom, and here it's begun with these 12 guys. He also starts making these outrageous claims like, you know, I can forgive sins. I can forgive your sins. What do you mean you can forgive my sins? Only God can forgive sins. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. I can forgive your sins. I am God incarnate. Okay, now, at this point in the story, you have to think, all right, Jesus is coming on the scene. He's making these big claims, claiming that he's the Messiah. That's not unique. I've been to Beach Boulevard before. I bet you tonight I could find somebody who thinks that they are the Messiah. In fact, I've talked to a lot of people, and I'm convinced that some of them have the Messiah complex. And usually the way that we react to people who are claiming to be the Messiah is not to run towards them, but run away from them. And so Jesus has got to do something. He, at this point, it's all talk. He's got to prove that he is the Messiah. So right after he calls the disciples and he's made this big claim, he starts doing something only God can do. He starts performing miracles. He starts healing the sick and casting out demons. And he says, look... Anybody can claim it, but I have actually proved that I am the one that you've been waiting for. And so, of course, crowds start to gather, and they start to want to know more about this miracle worker who also claims to be the Messiah. And so, as crowds begin to watch and hear what he's talking about, he heads up into the mountains. And everybody follows him up in the mountains because they're thinking, what is he going to do next? This is exciting. And so, as he is standing there in the mountainside, and he's got this crowd in front of him, and he's got his disciples beside him, he begins teaching. And this teaching, nobody knew it at the time, and it would have been amazing to be standing there, but the sermon that he's about to give is going to become the most important speech in all of human history. And you might be thinking, Cody, you're exaggerating, you're a Christian, that's what you're supposed to say. No, 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 no. This is from a secular perspective. This is the most important speech in human history. Because what comes from this is not just uh, a new religion. What comes from this is the foundation of entire Western civilization, is all the things that he's about to talk about, the values, the beliefs, the commandments, all of those things are going to be taken by these people, and it will transform the world forever. Whether you're a Christian or not, you have to understand that this talk that he's going to give has changed your life dramatically. 
that you are a benefactor of what he said right here. Even if you don't believe it, you have to know that this talk right here has changed your life because it's changed the world that we live in. We, of course, know this sermon now as the Sermon on the Mount. So what he's about to do is he's about to give these values. And so every kingdom, whether it's a, a kingdom, a nation, it's a company, it's a family, they all have a set of values and beliefs and ways of doing things. And so if you think about the United States, we have a set of values. One of the things that we value the most is freedom. And so we'll fight for our freedom. Or if you think about uh, companies or, or churches, we have a set of values here at the church. Some of the things that we value is consistency. We got to keep showing up. It's about just putting one foot in front of the other and being consistent. We also believe that God is, is a perfect God, and so we want to pursue excellence because we want to be just like him. Well, my family, we have values. Some of the values that we have is, is we value fun. And so this last week, we went up to the mountains, we took the kids sledding, and it was, it was a blast. But we also, um, we also, we also value responsibility. <laughs> so I won't take any credit for this. This was my wife is they uh, worked on how to sort all the socks last night. And, um, and they set a record, I think. They sorted and folded 105 pairs of socks. I didn't even know we had that many socks because most of the time I can't find any. <laughs> so, okay, anyway. And so those are some of the things that we value. Well, what Jesus is about to do here is he's about to lay out a value system. And you have to realize that the value system that he's about to give is, is completely different than the value system that the world advocates. So if you think about the values of the world, just, you know, humanity at large, or, or let's just, you know what, let's narrow it down. Let's just go with the Western world. If you think about the values that the Western world holds, it would be something like wealth and comfort and beauty, success, fame, power, and we want to avoid things like weakness and sacrifice and grief and exclusion. And so if you look at who we value the most, it would be people like musicians, sports uh, or uh, athletes or um, uh, wealthy, successful celebrities. It's all of these people whom we want to be like. That's why we want to know so much about them. It's because this is what we value. These people uh, are, seem to be at the top of our value system. And so this is, a, this is kind of our guiding principles. The reason why we value these things is, if we dig just a little bit deeper, is because we really do believe as a society that all we have is here and now. Like, we may give lip service that there's some God out there, and maybe there is a heaven waiting for us, but if you look at all the ways that we spend our resources and the, the, how we, we use our talents and the things that we pursue, it doesn't really say we're thinking about eternity. What it says is we're thinking about here and now. And yeah, if there is something after this, even better, but let's really be concerned about today, and so let's live for today. And the reason is because it's a kingdom that is not just about the here and the now, but it's about me. It's about my kingdom. It always comes back to whose kingdom are you building? And if you look at most of the Western world, and probably, you know, most of humanity, we're always trying to build our own little kingdoms. So it goes all the way back to the fall, is whose kingdom are you building? You want to build mine, or do you want to build God's? Well, I want to build mine. And so we have these, these values as a culture, as humanity, with the ultimate goal being happiness, is we just simply want to be happy. Now, if you're not a church person and you hear this, you think, yeah, um, that's kind of the point, isn't it? Like if I asked people on the street, hey, what's the point of life? They would say, I want to be happy. Well, how, do you, how are you going to be happy? And then they start listing off the things I just listed off. Of course, that's the point. It's almost like, duh. Of course, that's what we're pursuing. But Jesus would say, no, 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 no. 
that's the kingdom of here and now. That's the kingdom of me. That's the kingdom of pursuit of happiness. But there's a new kingdom that has arrived. And it's arrived with my coming. And this kingdom is going to turn everything upside down because that kingdom is on its way out. Because you got to know that there isn't just a here and now, there is an eternity. And your life isn't just about your happiness, it's about your holiness. And that the point of it is not you, but the point of it is me. And so you got to get on board with the new kingdom that has arrived. And so Jesus comes and he starts laying out what it looks like to live in his kingdom, in the kingdom of God. And uh, theologians have called it the upside down kingdom. Because he takes all of the values that seem so natural to us as broken humanity and he turns them upside down and he says, now this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. He gives us a new perspective, not just on a way to live, but what he's doing here is he's redefining success. He says, you want to live a good life? This is what it looks like to live a good life from God's perspective. Instead of claiming to be strong, you must admit that you are weak, that you can do nothing on your own, that you are totally dependent on God for every breath that you take. Instead of being filled with pride, I want you to be humble, acknowledging that your gifts, everything that you have and everything that you do, all of your accomplishments, those are all from God. You've done nothing apart from him. Instead of celebrating your sin and rebellion, you must mourn over it. Instead of pursuing money and pleasure, claim and beauty, you must pursue righteous living. You must pursue holiness. You must become more and more like me. Instead of being your will that is done, I want you to strive to have my will done in your life. So I want to clarify real quick before I continue on is you may be tempted to believe when, you, when you're reading all of these to-dos, here's how you should live and here's what it should look like, is that somehow if you do all of these things, then you're going to earn your way into the kingdom of God. That's not what's taking place here. What's happening here is that he is explaining what it looks like to live in the kingdom, and that takes effort. But that is not how you enter into the kingdom. How you enter into the kingdom has been a complete gift. It was paid for on the cross by Jesus' death, and he says you can receive it if you would like. It's your payment. It's your entrance into the kingdom. However, there is effort once you get in. Once you become a part of this kingdom, it's going to take some effort. So it's like this. is My kids are a part of our family. You know what they did to deserve to, and to earn their way into our family? Nothing absolutely nothing. And they continue to do pretty much nothing, but they did nothing to earn their way into our family. And yet they are a member of our family, but it takes effort. There are values, there are duties, there are commands, there are rules that we have if you want to be a part of this family. So they did nothing to earn it to get into it, but yet it is going to take effort for them to be a part of it. That's what it looks like to be in the kingdom. Your entrance has been paid for. You just have to accept it. However, it's going to take some effort Jesus says, when you live according to these kingdom values, not only will you live a good, blessed, happy life, but you're going to do something even better, is you are now going to show the rest of the world what it looks like to be salt and light. He starts talking about how we're going to change the world when we live out these values, because people are going to look at us and we're going to be a light in the darkness, as things get depressing, as things get dark and people are hopeless, you know who's going to step up? You. You're going to be the light in the darkness. And salt. Salt is a preservative. And so as things decay, see, the natural tendency for things in the world is not for things to get better. There's this myth of progress that we've been taught in modern society that, yes, things are getting better. Morally, we're getting better. Because we're advancing technologically and scientifically, then, yeah, we're getting better morally and relationally. That's not true. The natural tendency for the world 
is for things to kind of spin into disorder and destruction, death and decay. Things do not naturally get better. Someone has to step in and make them better. So uh, let me just give you an obvious example. This last week, we went, uh, we went off-roading. That's one of the things that we do as a family. And, uh, and so on our kind of family vacation, I use the word vacation loosely. It would imply relaxation. That does not happen in my life. But we go out, and my mom is driving. We have this like kind of side-by-side thing, you know, off-road thing. And, and my mom is driving my youngest and my wife. And they're following behind us, and we're on a couple quads. And, and as we're driving, I hear this noise. And I got to give you some background information. My mom, when we got this thing, she said, Cody, don't you break this. I know you're a crazy driver. I said, Mom, that's fine. I'm not going to break this thing. I know it's a family thing, blah, blah, blah. I'm not the one who needs to be concerned about breaking it. We have this running joke that um, there's this thing where we go called Nana's Ditch. The reason why we call it Nana's Ditch is because, I don't know, she didn't think she needed to slow down for it. And so she just hit this thing and everybody had to go to the chiropractor, you know? And so she does this and then um, right off the bat, she somehow, I don't know how this is possible, she gets the thing stuck in a tree. <laughs> I don't know. I just saw, okay, okay, here we go. As we're heading back at the end of the ride, I hear this squeaking noise behind me. So I look and I don't know how she's done this, but she has demolished an entire wheel. Not like popped a wheel, like it's gone, like the metal and everything is gone. It is exploded. I thought, I didn't even know that was pot. That's almost impressive what you have done here. And so now we have this wall of shame where we have her wheel on there because she's hit Nana's rock. So there's been Nana's ditch, Nana's tree, Nana's rock uh, that now we have there. And then my dad has already made it on the wall of shame because he has uh, run a, uh, law, a riding lawnmower into a tree. So that's a whole different story, but he's on there as well. Here's what I've never seen happen. I've never come back from one of our rides and the machines are in better condition than when we left. It's never happened. It doesn't even matter if you're a good driver, it's not gonna happen. Why? Because the natural tendency is for things to break down. It's for things to be destroyed. It's for things to, to stop working. We can see this in our bodies, we can see this physically, but it's true morally, it's true spiritually, it's true, true culturally, emotionally. Is as Christians, we are called to be the salt. We're called to preserve a world that is dying. We're also supposed to be a healing presence. Salt heals. We're supposed to go out there and as people are breaking down, as relationships are, are breaking, as the world is breaking down, we're going to be the ones that help put it back together. We're supposed to be there to enhance because salt enhances. Is one of the goals we have here at SEG is we want this place, the community that we're in, to be better because we exist. Yes, we hope that they come to know Jesus. That, that's our ultimate aim. But man, we also want this place to be better, this community to be better because we are here. So then Jesus switches topics. And he goes from talking about being salt and light to hitting some of the hot topics of the day. And they're not just the hot topics of his day, but they're pretty much the hot topics of every day. And so he starts rattling them off. He starts talking about these Old Testament laws and do they still apply and how do we make sense of them? And so he says things like, you know what? If you want to live in the kingdom, if you want to be a part of this, it's not just about can I get by? What, what's the minimum I can do in order? No, no. If you're going to be salt and light, here's what it's going to take. Is you're going to have to not just not murder people and not commit adultery, Lots of people can do that. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to stop the murderous thoughts and the lust that is in your mind because that's where it all originates from. 
Yeah, sure, you want revenge and you've been wronged. And you know what? What I want you to do is instead of seeking revenge, I want you to turn the other cheek. I don't care if they deserve it. I don't care if they've asked for it. I want you to forgive them. Or yeah, Genesis, when you go back to that account, it talks about a man and woman in creation. Um, it had it right. There's one man, one woman. They come together for a lifetime. Men, stop using your wives as property. There's no negotiating. This is how it looks. By the way, this is not Jesus. This is me. It is, um, I, I got a tip for the ladies as well. Ladies, stop mock, mocking your husbands. And I, I'm very sensitive about this right now because I've been mocked this week. I don't have social media. Maybe you do. Um, I find that my wife posts things without telling me that she's posted them on social media. And then I have people come to me afterward and goes, ha, 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 I can't believe that happened. I go, ha, 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 how do you know about that? Why are you creepier? You know, like, what, why are you watching me? She said that she got the most messages from women of SCG this week than she's ever gotten before. I said, really, why? Well, she said, you know how you went to the store on your way home from work and you, uh, <clears throat> you were supposed to pick up a couple things that I needed to make dinner? I sent you a picture of what you were supposed to get with a description in your text message so that you could look at it and you could go get that. I go, uh-huh, yeah, I did good, right? <laughs> uh, she says, well, I sent you a picture of green onions. I wrote, green onions. You picked up celery. That's not green onions. I'm like, well, stop sending me to the store then, all right? Maybe I did it on purpose so she won't send me anymore. I don't know. Anyway, okay, we're running out of time. All right. Anyway, he continues on. He says, hey, you want to know how to pray? Here's how you pray, Lord's Prayer. Hey, you want to know what you're supposed to do with your money? Give it away. Give to people who are in need. Don't worry about tomorrow. I'm going to take care of you. In fact, I want you to store up your riches in heaven, not here on earth. See, the big idea here is that you got to be right with other people if you want to be right with God. You're not just supposed to tolerate those people. You're supposed to love those people. And then his grand finale and at this point, you might be thinking, all right, I can sign up for that. Like, I'm, you know, either, even if I don't believe in Jesus, I kind of like what he has to say. He seemed like a good guy, a good moral philosopher. I can sign up. He ends with a bang. Here's what he says at the very end, chapter 7. And you gotta, this is what I love about Jesus, by the way. He gets a crowd. He, you know he, they're in it. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, oh, okay. Wait a minute. I got one more thing for you. I got one more thing for you. Here's what he says. He says, I want you to imagine this picture for a moment. Imagine that there's this wide path, and at the end of it, there's a wide gate. And lots and lots of people are going to go through that. And you know where that leads to? Destruction. Like, Whoa, this took a turn. <laughs> like, yeah, there's going to be a narrow path, and there's going to be a narrow gate. You know where that leads to? Life. So you know where you need to go? Yeah, the narrow gate. They're going, okay, I think I understand what he's saying here. <laughs> Let me be a little bit more uh, clear here in case you missed it. You're going to die one day. And you are going to be judged by me. And if you go through the wide gate, you are going to be sent to hell. And if you go through the narrow gate, you are going to have eternal life. And so the way that it determines which one you go to is what you do with me. Do you follow me or do you reject me? And then he says, and even of those of you who claim to follow me, there's real and there's true. And then there's those fake uh, hypocrites. And I am going to say to you one day, I never knew you. Get away from me. Yeah, I bet you that's how it went. That's exactly how it went, where he paused and everybody was silent, like, oh, shoot. He just went there. It's kind of like an OG mic drop moment where he just like, that's what's up. 
Matthew says this at the end because you know that there was just a, a, like a, a shock in the crowd. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So Jesus just throws it out there, says, yo, here's the bottom line. This is brass tacks. This is what you need to do. Follow me. If not, destruction. Here we go. And then he walks off stage, goes on to the next thing. Okay, what are we supposed to do with that, Jesus? Uh, Are we supposed to navigate that? What are we supposed to, I don't know, you should probably figure that out. Pretty big deal. Seems like there's a lot riding on this, like your eternity, so what are you going to do about it? I love that Jesus just kind of throws it into, the ball into our court and says, all right, so it's up to you, what do you want to do? A lot of you guys made some big decisions uh, last week, is you decided, yeah, I'm going to be a part of that. I'm tired of being the the ruler over my own kingdom. It is not working out well. I'm going to sign up to be a part of his. I'm going to submit my life to him. He's going to be the king. I want to be a part of his kingdom. Some of you guys still need to make that decision. Hey, if you'll, you know, I'm going to try to finish on time, but I got one more thing. As I was thinking about this sermon, and I was thinking about what is the bottom line here? What is the bottom line? Here's the bottom line. To live in the kingdom of God means to put Jesus over everything. That's it is we believe here that Jesus changes everything. He has and he will. But in order for that to happen, you got to put Jesus over everything. That's what it looks like to live in the kingdom here and now, is put Jesus over everything. Some of you guys, you need to make that commitment, and you need to make it for the first time, and it needs to be today. Some of you guys did it last weekend. Some of you guys have been thinking, you know what, maybe I can have dual citizenship, in which I can still have my kingdom, but then I also have his kingdom. He's going, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how this works. You're either in or you're out. You don't get to do the hokey pokey. It is, it is one or the other. Are you going to put me over everything or not? So after our 21-day detox fast, I, uh, I tried to continue on some of the things that we had done over those three weeks. Some eating healthy and, and some of the, the things that I had gotten rid of, like the, the podcasts and the news and just the mindless entertainment and all that. And I've been trying to keep that up because it, it was so beneficial during those 21 days. And so one of the things that I've implemented instead is um, becoming a reader. And I, I got to be honest, I don't have an attention, attention span that can last for that long to read a whole book, but I'm trying. And so I've been reading since then, since the beginning of the year, um, about a book a day. And I, the way that I came to which books I was going to read was I just went and did some research. What are the most impactful Christian books of all time? Which ones haven't I read? Those are the ones I'm going to read. And one of the ones that I read um, was a book that you probably read at some point in your life, which is The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. I read the whole thing, and there's this scene at the very end, and if you haven't read it, spoiler alert, but it's been out for a long time, so you should have read it already. Um, if you don't know the background, is she lived in Nazi Germany. She hid, uh, along with her family, she hid Jews throughout their house. Eventually, she got caught, and she was sent into a concentration camp, and, and in that concentration camp, she ends up losing her sister who dies, and her father uh, gets released, but then quickly dies. And, and she pretty much, she, she loses everything in these concentration camps. And you'd think that she'd come out bitter, but she comes out with this very strong faith. And so she becomes a traveling uh, teacher, pastor, and she goes around and she talks about her experience. She talks about Jesus' love and, and how we're supposed to forgive and reconciliation and, and how she's learned to forgive over this period of time. And, and there's this one thing at the very end of the book and what she is speaking at a church and this man comes up, and he introduces himself. And she, he doesn't recognize her, but she recognizes him. It's one of the guards from the concentration camp, which she was at, and her sister was killed. 
And he, he was one of the more evil and destructive guards there. And he came up to her and he says this. He raises his hand to shake hers. And he says, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, talking about the concentration camp, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Will you forgive me? <laughs> I don't know how I would react. I do know how I would react, and that's why I won't share it with you. But luckily, she responds a little bit different. She writes, I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven, I could not forgive. Betsy, which is her sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow and terrible death simply for the asking? And then it says, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. She struggled for a moment to say anything. She was kind of frozen. She couldn't lift her hand to shake his and even say those words. And, and so she just says in her heart, Lord, please just give me the strength to be able to do this because I don't feel it. She says, I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. See, living in the kingdom is kind of like marriage in that there is a day in which you have to commit and you have to say, okay, I want to be in your kingdom. I'm tired of trying to build mine. I want to build yours. Just like there's a day in which you commit to spending your life with this person. And there's also a lifelong commitment and process to doing that. And so some of us, we need to make that commitment for the first time when we say, okay, it's your kingdom, not mine. It's all about what you want. It's not about what I want. I want to be a part of the kingdom today, here and now. But for some of us, it's just a continuing process of giving him more. She says in the book that she was almost angry at God because God, she had given God everything. And she thought that she had overcome this grief that she had for the loss of her family members. And then God says, no, no, I want one more thing. I want you to forgive this person. And see, it's a process. It's a process of continuing to give God more and more and more until he has everything. For some of us, this is our money. We've been holding back this and we say, no, no, it's, it, you can take all that in my sins. You can definitely have that. You can't have my money though. You can't have my schedule. You can't have my priorities. Not this relationship. No, 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 not this bitterness. I'm gonna keep this to myself. The rest, you can have that. And Jesus says to be a part of his kingdom means to give him everything. And so I think the question is, what is it that you need to put Jesus in charge of? Jesus wants to be over everything. What is the thing that he still needs to be over in your life? Maybe it's your entire life. Maybe it's an area of your life. But what Corey Ten Boom said at the end of this was once she finally let go of that thing and she finally said, okay, I've given all these things and I'll give you the next thing that you asked me for. She says, I experienced an incredible amount of freedom and love in that moment. And see, that's the end result is God doesn't want you to give him more and more stuff because he needs it. He doesn't need that. He wants you to give him whatever that is that you've been holding on to because that's how you're going to experience that freedom and that love that, is, that you will feel when you live in the kingdom here and now. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for, um, for inviting us to be a part of your kingdom, Lord God. We don't deserve it. There's nothing that we could do to pay the, the entrance fee to get there. 
It requires perfection, and only you uh, can pay that kind of uh, entrance fee. And yet, Lord God, you have made a way for us. And so, Lord God, we just humbly come and we accept that um, we have been invited into your kingdom. And Lord, we want, to, um, we want to continue to put you in charge of our life, Lord God, as you reveal things in our life, maybe things that we've been holding back, things that we didn't even realize that we haven't given you, that we would be able to come with open arms and open hands and say, okay, Lord, this is yours as well. And so, Lord God, continue to show us what it is that we need to put you to, over, to be the king in our life, to put you over everything. And so, Lord God, we come and we, we thank you, we love you, in your name we pray. Amen. All right, will you guys stand with me? Hey, if, uh, if you were here last week and you made that commitment or you made that commitment today and you didn't get a chance to tell somebody, please come and talk to one of our pastors. We would love to just say congratulations and give you some next steps. And uh, please sign up for our master class this week. We're going to have a blast, so make sure you're there. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message, and remember, we also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. You can always join us online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.